Hello, and welcome to the Soulful Live It podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Raquel. Today, I'm joined by a speaker, author, and relationship expert, Heidi Bushy, who works with women to help them identify and change painful relationship patterns. If you enjoy this episode, please remember to go give us a five-star rating on iTunes and share it out with your networks. Okay, let's jump into this. Welcome, Heidi. It's so great to have you here. Girl, I am so thrilled to be joining in the studio today. Thank you for sharing your platform with me and having me on the show. Yay, this is really exciting. I spent some time with your book this week, which is phenomenal. Oh, thank you. I think that's somewhere that we should start. But before we jump into the book, okay, is there anything that you want to share about yourself for our listeners to kind of have more of an insight and what you're up to? I left the cubicle life in October of 2018 to pursue the dream that was on my heart, which was to write a book that I had in mind. And it was based on a bunch of work I'd done about men and relationships. And since then, I wrote the book. I self-published it one year later. And now I teach the information that's in the book, which is how I help women identify and change painful patterns in their relationships. I love it. How to help women become relationship ready. Yes. I would love if, because we do have an astrology and tarot segment, Mm -hmm. if you would share your sun, moon, and rising signs. Oh, yes. I wrote these down. So, of course, we (laughs) met earlier this week, and I'm like, you know, I only know, like, the one sign that everyone, you know, that the general population knows that you, like, read your daily horoscope in the paper as a kid growing up. Oh, my God. I'm dating myself. I don't even know if people read their daily horoscopes (laughs) in a newspaper anymore. But that was, like, one of my favorite things to do when I was a kid. Between the ages of 10 and 14, when the paper would come, I would always turn to the horoscope. Anyway, I was born July 22nd, and I am a... Leo son and then you took my information this was awesome because as we were talking I'm like I'm a Leo you know I'm a cusp actually in most yeah in cancer most, energy mm-hmm, in like most horoscope outlines or whatever I'm yeah. like, always used to choose between cancer and Leo like when I was a kid I would look at both of them and be like which one's better yeah um but I always <laughs> identified a little bit more Leo because I just have that kind of energy I feel like so I'm a Leo son and then it was great to meet you because you were like if you send me you know your date of birth your date of birth and your time of birth and your location I can tell you the other stuff so I did that and you let me know I am a Leo son a Sagittarius moon and a Capricorn rising yes yes and I have a sentence to share with you and to share with our <laughs> listeners to give them more of a sense of who you are in a bite-sized one-sentence manner, which is that you are the protector, which is Leo Sun, Mm -hmm. with the heart of the philosopher, which is your moon in Sagittarius. Love to overthink things. Who appears to the world as the mentor. Wow. Which is definitely that Capricorn rising. Oh my God, that is pretty accurate. Accurate AF. I love it. (laughs) Hey, this astrology shit's no joke. On board with it. (laughs) So That way, our listeners have a sense of who you are astrologically, since that falls into our monthly astrology and tarot segment. And yeah, let's go from there. Let's talk about your book. Cool. Relationship Ready, How I Stopped Fucking Randos and Started Cupcaking My Soulmate. The first question that comes to mind is what does it mean to cupcake your soulmate? Yeah, cupcaking is a term that I basically made up. Love it. It was pretty risky to put it in the title and on the cover of the book. But I feel like the great thing about it is it does catch people's attention. Like, it sounds great. Like, there are probably some people out there that don't like cupcakes. But I, mean, I could go for one right now. <laughs> I know. I love one. I had one yesterday. <laughs> I love um, you. I Actually, I, I had one yesterday. You did? I was at a birthday party. Oh, I love it. I brought cupcakes. That's who I am. <laughs> Me too. Oh, my God. They're seriously? My, I swear, I love them. And actually, my favorite cupcake place place in town i'm gonna give them a plug because they're yeah. my favorite no so there's this bakery in selwood called a piece of cake bakery oh. here's the thing first of all they sell slices and cupcakes and they're open until 10 o'clock every night maybe Dangerous. even 11 oh my they god might even be open until 11 uh and they serve gluten-free vegan and oh, like so portland up, i know and just like straight up regular cupcakes and slices so anyway i love myself some piece of cake now it's not because of that that i put the word cupcaking in my book <laughs> but it's because actually you know when i met my soulmate my husband now my husband jeff he and i were like dating you know and we were like you know when you start dating someone and you're just like god i just want to fucking do everything with you i just yeah. want to like be in your armpit i want to go grocery shopping with you i want to go like put gas in the car like just the mundane even the most mundane stuff you're like oh my god i want to go do all that stuff and you know when you got to wake up in the morning and go to work oh my god you're like seriously can't there be like some kind of federally mandated leave <laughs> for cupcaking like i yeah. understand that people get fmla for like taking care of their family's medical stuff could i get some fmla for like cupcaking my heart out like i'm just having so i there was like a whole period of like three or four months where every day I would wake up with him and be like oh my god I need cupcaking life you know so it was like kind of this inside joke between us but it really just kind of speaks to that you know that pink cloud moment 
that we can have with people who aren't our soulmates, but like how beautiful it was for me to have that kind of pink cloud cupcaking moment with the man who was also my soulmate. So that's how it ended up on the cover. So wonderful <laughs> and intriguing. I'd love if you shared with us what exactly it was that inspired you to leave your normal nine to five job and work on a book and birth into the world this beautiful masterpiece that is now sitting in my hands. Oh my God, you are so sweet about that. Thank you. What happened was I had been working, I was a crime analyst. I had been working that job for three years. When I got that job, I was really searching for some stability in my work life. So I was like, oh my God, this greatest job ever. You're going to have to pull me from this cubicle by my like cold, lifeless body. And I just like <laughs> was planning on working there till I died. And then um, fast forward three years and it was just like, it really wasn't serving me anymore. It had become kind of a toxic work environment. And I had done the work that I outlined in this book years ago, probably six years ago now. And it had changed my entire perspective around men and relationships. And it had completely transformed my thoughts about the accessibility of love and intimacy. There was a time in my life when I believed that love and intimacy were only um, available to like the beautiful people. Ooh. Right. And like I was not one of them. I felt very much other than my entire life. Of course, like all these beautiful people would have this. I talk about in the book would have this like Zach Morris and Kelly Kapowski style love, you know, yeah. but like it wasn't for me. And when I did this work six years ago, my entire perspective on that changed and I was transformed to a place where I'm like, I can have anything I want. I can shred this narrative. Yes, you can. Yes, snaps. Yes. I can shred this narrative I'm telling myself about how accessible this is to me. It was an incredible experience to do that work. And then I got this office job. And then the, as the kind of shine wore off on the, you know, steady income and the predictability of the office job, I started to think like, other women in the world need this transformation, need access to this transformation. And so I talked to my husband and he, we had just gotten married and I'm like, I'm thinking about leaving this job because I think I need to write this book. And yeah. he, was, he was so supportive. He's like, we'll do whatever, you know? And I mean, one of the things that's so interesting is like the gig economy is really changing the way that we can live and move throughout the world. There is kind of this intersection or this crossroads of like, the way that our parents were raised, which was like you get a job at the city, you work there for 30 years until you retire, you get a Rolex. You don't get a Rolex if you work for the city. Yeah. But Amen. You get a benefits package, you get what you know, whatever, and then you're done, right? You get and a then, poster. And then yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is integrity. You get like a bus pass or something, I think. <laughs> and then you go have your adventure, right? Yeah. But like the way that the economy is changing, and I didn't do a ton of work in the gig economy. I had some financial security and some uh, savings to take the space to just focus on writing the book. But I knew that worst case scenario, I was going to write the book and then go back to an office job. Yeah. You know, I haven't had to do that. So yeah, so I took the time to write the book. And then uh, I launched it in October, which is really just like four months ago, five months ago now. And I've just been kind of hitting the pounding the pavement with it. And not only has the gig economy changed the accessibility of chasing our dreams, but also I self published on Amazon. And that platform is extremely accessible. I mean, I just feel like if there's one takeaway to the answer to this question, it would be if you are someone out there who has a book on your heart and you have a dream to write it, like, let's do it. The hardest part about it is actually writing. Yep. Totally. And, and like the publishing and all this stuff, it's like, it's very easy compared to the writing part. It's so accessible. Yeah. And just because I think I understand what you're saying when you say gig economy, but I want to make sure that I'm on the right page mm -hmm. and that our listeners are following along. Sure. Do you mean like freelancing? Yeah, I mean partly like freelancing and partly like starting your own online business and selling on Instagram or selling on social media or selling on Facebook. Yeah. I just feel like, you know, social media, it's complex. Right. Amen. <laughs> so it's really easy to bag on social media and everything's owned by Facebook and blah, 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 whatever. But it also has created these networks where like we can sell products, services, gain freelance work from and to people that we may or may not know in real life. And so it really is possible to start to like put together a way to pay your bills and chase your dream, whether it's like location independence or writing a book or starting your own business as a side hustle that turns into your full hustle. So that's what I'm talking about when I refer to the gig economy. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. yeah. And I agree with you. There's there's a lot out there and everybody is out chasing after different things. And if there's something on your heart that you need to express, whether it's a book or it's mm -hmm. a podcast or it's none of those things and you just want to go fucking make cupcakes. Okay. <laughs> yes, go make some cupcakes. You go make those cupcakes. We are here to support you. <laughs> yeah. Bring us some samples. Yeah. We're going to require samples. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're in Portland and I know for people who are listening outside of Portland who are like, what? This cupcake place? And what are they talking about? <laughs> Come visit us, guys. This place is great. Oh, yeah. It really is. It's That's great. True. 
Um, but we're full, so stop moving here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's kind of a joke, but if you're from California, it's not a joke. I'm I'm kidding again. Sorry. I'm actually born. I was born in California, guys. Got that Californian blood in me. I love it. That's why I'm so goddamn pale, because I need sun. <laughs> Got to get that vitamin D. That's okay, right. guys. Starting out on the book, uh-huh. what are you hoping that your readers are going to walk away mm. after they read it? Yeah. Okay, so I want to just make a, I can't, I'm not sure. I know you said the title of it, but I haven't said the title of it yet. The book is called Relationship Ready, How I Stopped Fucking Randos and Started Cupcaking My Soulmate. It's available on Amazon in paperback and Kindle. It's forthcoming on Audible. It'll be great to listen to on Audible because it's like having a conversation with me. I think I'm great. So She is. <laughs> um, can so, confirm. <laughs> so really what I want readers to take away from this is, look, all my shit's on blast in this book. I spend the first half of the book telling you about like pretty much every bad decision I ever made. There are a couple that I edited out just because they were a little gratuitous. But, you know, I mean, I talk about like I moved to a different city because a guy offered to cook me breakfast. Like I got married to a guy that I had that I painted every single red flag green for. I subsequently got divorced (laughs) from him. You know, I mean, I just kind of put it all out there. And part of the reason I do that is I just know having lived that experience, I know the pain and suffering that I was in, especially when I felt like I was the only person in the world that wasn't getting it when it came to relationships. I felt like I was the only person in the world for whom relationships were not accessible, for whom long-term relationships were not a reality. I was a woman who chose unavailable partners from the get-go. My very first experiences dating were on online chat rooms. And, you know, I was like 13 or 14 when AOL emerged. And so it was like so amazing as like this weird teenager to be like, oh my God, I can talk to anyone in the world and like they don't know who I am. Yeah. And I can like say whatever I think they want to hear. Yeah, it's that A slash S slash L question mark. (laughs) Exactly. Today I'm 23. (laughs) Legit, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I started flirting and kind of dating, although I met two of the men. I write about one of them. Did I meet two? I met at least one, and I write about it in the book in person. I mostly didn't meet people in person. I mostly just flirted with them online, but it was like a safe way for me to date somebody that was unavailable. I was never really planning on meeting them. Like I, nobody would call me out on any lies. Like it was just this whole make-believe thing. And then I eventually moved into looking for unavailable men. In my 20s, I was always creeping on my roommate's boyfriends, just kind of hoping that like <laughs> they would break up with my high-maintenance roommates. And like, you know, we'd all be waiting around somewhere and my roommates would be getting ready and I'd be like hanging with the guys. I was just like, always hoping that kind of rom-com thing where like, they would eventually like realize their girlfriend was high maintenance and I was very low maintenance and they would be like, you're the girl of my dreams, you know, yeah. like, which of course was creepy and weird and never happened. <laughs> and then, you know, as I got older, I started to date men that were in relationships with other women who were not my roommates. But basically all of this is to say like, look, I didn't make great decisions. And a lot of that was driven from these old patterns and this old pain that I had underneath them. And the point of the book is like, if you're a woman who's sitting there banging her head against the wall going like, holy shit, how did this happen again? How did I waste, I put air quotes around that, how did I waste another six months with this fucking guy? How could I have not seen this earlier? Uh, I just want you to know you're not alone. And that I did some work that changed my life around it. And like, if you want to do some work around it, we can do it together. Or you can just try to, you know, move through the worksheets that are in, in the book. Awesome. Mm -hmm. I love that. So you kind of outlined who this book is for when it comes to like specifically women, though Mm -hmm. I, we chatted about this before we hopped on here. These are universal communication skill builders. Yeah, I agree. I I mean, I tell so much of the story from my own personal experience, and that is just in the hetero context, but I believe that the tools that are in here can help you regardless of your interest. Anything that you would add for somebody who's already in a long-term relationship like myself? Yeah, I think the book is also good for people who are partnered because especially towards the later chapters, I talk a lot about like learning some new communication tools to just kind of let some shit go, kind of picking my battles with my current husband, Jeff. And so there are things that are useful regardless of your status as far as partnership is concerned. Yeah. I know that in your book, you talk about three specific types of unavailability that are within relationships. Yes. Can you share with me and our listeners what those three types are and any strategies that you have to help people identify them. Yes. Oh my God. I'm so glad that we're talking about this specifically. I could bang this drum forever. These (laughs) people need to know there are at the very least, I have identified these three types of unavailability. There may be more, but like these are the three that I feel like get us in the most trouble. Okay. The first one is he does not live near you. Yeah. (laughs) 
This is a huge one. And especially today because, I mean, we online date, right? And we app date. We use Tinder. We use all the stuff. My own experience was that I repeatedly got involved with men who did not live where I lived. One of the last long distance things I was in was a German national who was living in Nepal while I was living in Portland. They regularly had no electricity because they were like kind of, you know, it was it's very much like developing experience over there and so like actually a friend of mine introduced us but not in person and I was totally spending all my time chasing this guy and eventually like we rendezvoused in Las Vegas oh I had just gotten sober I was 30 days sober and I was meeting this German national who was had been in Nepal in Las Vegas <laughs> to like fuck basically right <laughs> But I was expecting that we were like going to have this long term relationship. And the reality is it's super fun, especially when you from the jump date someone long distance. You got to fly to where they are or travel to see them. It's and an it's, adventure. Yeah. And you're like, oh, my God, I've never been to Philadelphia before. Let's go to the art museum. Let's check out the food trucks. This is a very different experience than dating someone who lives where you live. And you're like, do you need avocados at the grocery store? Or should I pick <laughs> one up for you? Right. Like that's it's like not as real. That's <laughs> no. for sure. It was fantasy. For me, it was mm. always fantasy. And it was super fun until I'd spent six months flying back and forth to rendezvous with this guy that particular guy I met up with in Las Vegas and then 30 days later I met up with him in Amsterdam that was crazy to be newly sober in Las Vegas and Amsterdam with just like less than two months of sobriety and stay wow. sober that would and, be a challenge <laughs> and to have the chaos of like this unavailable guy that I was like trying to fuck I mean it was crazy um but the point being that of course it was super fun right but then three months later you know, we're still like kind of texting and I'm like, the universe cannot bring me a relationship that is resilient and reciprocal when I'm spending all my time chasing this guy who's like not even where I'm at. Yeah. You know, and we're not really having any kind of reality because we're really leading separate lives except for when we're texting. And when we meet up, we're like in these random locales that are not either of our homes. You know, yeah. I put a metaphor in the book where it's like dating somebody long distance and expecting to have a really deeply intimate, uh, resilient relationship is like eating Snickers and whipped cream all day and expecting to have like a bodybuilder physique. Mm. It just like doesn't compute. Is yeah. the reality. So that's the first one. He doesn't live near you. The second one, oh my God, this one. He is not single or else he is recently divorced, mm. i.e., under a year. So that is like a hard and fast rule for me and the women that I work with. I cannot tell you how many women in my life are like, oh, my God, but he's separated. They're just signing the paperwork. They're just whatever. Listen, I have been divorced, so I feel like I can say this. <laughs> <laughs> People who have like great marriages and amazing communication skills don't fucking get divorced. So if you are dating somebody who just got divorced, like they need some space to figure out what got their ass divorced. Mm, whoa. And it just it's baggage no matter what, whether like he was a perfect angel and his wife cheated on him and that's why they got divorced. Like he's still going to have some shit to unpack. Well, he chose that woman. Yes. And then he married her and he stayed with her. So there is something there for him to identify. And I agree with you. If it's under a year that yeah. he's been divorced or I mean, seriously, it's bullshit. If the person's like, I'm separated. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you're separated, you're not single. That yeah, guy's not single. You're still technically not single. <laughs> so I don't. that feels like a gray area that I wouldn't want to be in. Yeah, I just personally think it's less chaos to just bypass that stuff. And here's the thing. If he's like really your soulmate and he's just separated, set him aside Yeah. and let him come back. To, the universe will bring him back to you. That was a huge lesson that I learned by trusting the woman who took me through this work and by doing the work that I did I was required to set some pretty serious boundaries with the men in my life and I was really afraid Ooh. that setting these boundaries would cause everyone to go away and I learned to trust that like if I set these boundaries and tell everyone look I'm taking some time to do work on me and I'll be in touch when I'm done they're still going to be there if the universe thinks they should still be there like oh, if they so were no good. good for me in the first place they're going to go do, you know it's like not up to me what's meant to be will find you I a thousand percent agree and I know we're not on to the third Mm -hmm. type of unavailability yet but I just gotta plug this excerpt from your book okay because it was one of my favorite things I read <sighs> awesome. in here awesome okay and it'll also be fun for you to hear someone else read it <laughs> I can't so, wait so here it is this is on page 56 in chapter chapter 5 boundaries which mm. I am fucking vibing with <laughs> right yes. now Yes, boundaries. This is fucking important shit, guys. Pay attention. Heidi writes, The tailspin of a respected boundary was the manifestation of a scarcity mindset. That there was not enough love for me. That I should just settle for what was right in front of me. Mm. That it was ridiculous to ask for more. That more was for other people and not for me. 
I was constantly afraid that I was making a mistake by honoring my truth and ending something that wasn't working, that I would miss out on some grand romantic adventure, a fear that I felt was confirmed when I ended something with someone who respected my boundary and moved on. Mm, that gave me chills hearing you read that. Thank you Ooh, for reading it. That gave it. me chills to read it the first time. And even just now, I'm like, whew. Powerful. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I would finally get the nerve to break up with someone. And it was like my 12-year-old inner child would be screaming at me like, Heidi, what are you doing? We should hang on to what we've got right now. I know it's not perfect. I know it doesn't really serve us. Like, what are you doing letting this go? And then such fear, so much fear. And like, I truly believe, you know, if my hands are like have a death grip on this metaphorical relationship, then like there's no room for I wish you could see this. But, you know, there's no <laughs> there's room a visual going on right for, now guys. <laughs> for the universe to bring me anything. But if I open my hands and let it go, it's like my hands are open to receive what the universe will bring. Right. If what I'm letting go of is supposed to come back, it will come back. Yeah. Right? You know, if I don't choke it in a stranglehold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If there's anything left of it to come back. Exactly. And then the second piece of that is like, you know, I was raised in the rom-com industrial complex. Mm. Right. Like I grew up on rom-coms. I love I do love them. I'm not you know, I'm not bagging on rom-coms. They're not too serious. They're not too whatever. But they definitely affected the way that I view relationships and boundaries in almost every rom-com ever. The gal in the rom-com is like, I don't have time. I'm building my soap business. And the guy's like, oh, we'll see about that. You know, and then he like <laughs> shows up at her work with flowers. And then, you know, he like wins over her family by taking up a spot on their family flag football team or whatever and then you know and then he gets her out of a jam one time when she's got a flat tire and then like he eventually wins her over right he never hears her say no and the movie we always watch is that they ride off into the sunset together instead of the movie where like he respects her boundaries and she like builds an empire on her soap business yeah and like goes on to rule the world right which is like a whole different experience the but movie i want to watch I, I might want to watch some of those sometimes <laughs> yeah. right like i still want to watch a good like sleepless in seattle or whatever but i also want to watch that so my experience when I would set a boundary would be like, and somebody respected it, would be like, oh my God, but where, especially when I was in college, when's he going to show up outside my class? When's he going to come to the sorority house and like win over all my sisters? When's he going to send me flowers? Like, no, he, he's not doing that either because he yeah. doesn't like you or because he's just grown up enough to go like, oh, you told me you didn't like me. And so I'm turning my attention elsewhere. But it really distorted my perspective of what it means to give a boundary and have it respected. It's part of our culture. A thousand percent. And especially here in the States, mm -hmm. I think that is that is a drum that's being beat way too much. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing some transformation. I mean, even in Disney movies right now, mm -hmm. like think about Frozen. Mm -hmm. Like that is not a story that is about giving up your voice so that you can get the man mm -hmm. throw back to little mermaid mm -hmm. slash mm -hmm. i hope they're redoing it to have a better storyline oh, but i do love the little mermaid right i'm not yeah, gonna... it's classic it's, it's so classic. good great soundtrack but you know at the core of that mm -hmm. storyline yeah. is something that's actually really toxic agreed for women and men mm -hmm. and like i said people who are in any kind of relationship we're seeing a relationship play out yeah where things aren't real yeah. And it's there is fantasy, but to discern the difference between what is real and what's not real, yeah. especially at a young age when you're dating, yeah. can be really, really, really difficult. tough. I'm so glad we got like way into that. That's really good. So the second one that we just kind of wrapped up talking about was like he's not actually single. Yep. OK, the third type of unavailability. This is the toughest one is that he's not emotionally available. Mm, okay. So what is emotionally unavailable? What does that look like versus emotionally available. So I think that emotional availability is a little bit easier to spot because emotional unavailability can take a lot of shapes. Mm. And in my book, I give one example and granted it's extreme. By the time we're in our twenties, almost all of us have experienced some kind of trauma, some kind of thing, some kind of loss, some kind of grief, men, women, whatever. We've all got baggage by the time we're in our twenties. And certainly more of us even have it by the time we're in our thirties. And so my thing about emotional availability and unavailability is that by the time you are dating and ready to be in a relationship, you will have found some tools to cope with and or work through whatever kind of trauma you have sustained in the past. So it doesn't mean you have to be totally healed, but you have to have some tools to use around it. In the example in the book, I give emotional unavailability. You're like on your first date with this guy and he's sitting across from you. You know, you've each had like one beer or whatever. He's not drunk or anything. And he's like, you know, I'm just so mad at my mom. My dad left when I was 13 and she remarried this guy when I was 15 and he was such a fucking asshole and he's been a dick ever since. I just, you know, like, <laughs> dude, dog, you're 40, right? Like it's, yeah. you know, it's laughable, but yeah. 
but there are people out it's there real. who are yes who are carrying around that kind of trauma in the book I'm, i say this like look some shitty shit might have happened he might have had some really shitty shit happen to him but if he has not found a way to deal with his shitty shit then like he will not be able to have a reciprocal relationship where both of you show up and both of you contribute to the conversations that you're having and he won't be able to provide a resilient relationship which is a relationship that can withstand a difficult conversation or 10 or 15 or 20 right and if he can't find a way to work through that old shit or have some tools around that stuff then he's not going to be able to be in the trenches with you yeah and if he hasn't dealt with his shit then you're gonna have to deal with his shit while he continues to maybe not deal with his shit and vice versa I mean Mm. women are the same way which is like taking your time are you out dating people when you're not fucking relationship ready you are not ready you have trauma you have a story in your head about who you are Mm -hmm. in relationships who you are in the Mm. world why things always don't work out for you Mm -hmm. like that if you're carrying that it's a storm cloud over your head and anybody that you're in a relationship with will have to withstand that storm yeah we'll and be yeah, affected by it being mm-hmm. in a relationship you do have to weather a lot of shit yeah i'm in a long-term relationship mm-hmm. i love you hi <laughs> he's the best and i know you're in a long-term relationship uh-huh. obviously you're married yeah so we both understand that there is weathering yeah. in relationships but that is different mm-hmm. than going into relationships with trauma i mean my story is its own thing but i didn't date at all like mm-hmm. seriously Mm -hmm. Until I met my boyfriend that I'm still with. Mm, Yeah. I was like very selective, very like, I mean, I dated around, but Mm. I was never someone's girlfriend. Yeah. Not until I was with my boyfriend now. And that is because I knew I wasn't ready at the core of who I was. And on the flip side of that, every person I went on a date with, I'm so sorry if you're listening to this and you ever dated me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I like it. I hope I was also horrible to date. I'll give that honesty because I would be like, this isn't working. Bye. Ghost. Ghosting before ghosting was a thing. When I was on a date with somebody, I just knew in the back of my head, I'm like, intuition. You're not my forever. I know that for sure. Yeah. I know that now. You're good looking or you have a good job or Mm -hmm. you have all these fun stories or a wonderful family. Like, whatever it is that's great about you, that's awesome. It doesn't check all my boxes. Yeah. And I'm just not willing to settle. Yeah. And I I just always felt that way. So I went through all my trauma and... Obviously, there's still more to come when you're growing and constantly evolving as a human, but I wasn't ready until I was ready. And then when I was ready, I was like, I can't say no. I can't. I got to be with this guy. He's he's my guy. This is my guy. (laughs) I'm going to I'm going to roll with this. This is going well. I love that. Here we are. But like I had that higher Mm self-knowledge to know. And of course, I made fucking mistakes. We all make mistakes. Totally. But mine aren't in a book. So (laughs) you can read about Heidi's mistakes in her book. They're highly entertaining and wonderful. And I have really enjoyed reading them. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah. So that covers it. I mean, so there is this extreme example of emotional unavailability, but basically it boils down to like, look, they need to be a grown ass person who's got some coping tools around their shit and who's relationship ready. So I know that there is a ton of stories that you have in your book Mm -hmm. for people to dive into. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if there's any specific story that you would like to share with our listeners now, whether it's in the book or not, Mm -hmm. to kind of give them more of a taste of what to expect if they pick it up. There is the story about how I bottomed out with men in relationships. And it's like in the very beginning of the book. So I'm going to leave that one for you. It's it's a doozy. But what happened for me was I hit this bottom. I finally was like, I'm done doing this. I'm going to try something different. I called a girlfriend who had some work for me to do. I agreed to do it because I thought it was going to take like 30 days. Yeah. It took me 11 months. I'm not saying it will take you 11 months, dear listeners, but it could And in that time, I took an entire break from dating and I took an entire break from any one-on-one interaction with men. So no texting, no DMs, no Snapchats, no nothing. I hung out with men in mixed company occasionally, but I really stopped hanging out with men. And I did all this work. And then, of course, I finished it and I was like, okay, where's my boyfriend? Where's my soulmate? You know, I really (laughs) was like felt very entitled to like the carrot at the end of the stick. And that's not what happened for me. I didn't meet my husband, Jeff, until about a year after I had finished the work I did here. And so I went back to dating. I went on this date with this guy who I met on Tinder and he was like, why don't we have dinner at a park? So he like cooked me. It was summertime. So I met him at a park and he cooked me dinner. And then I think I had a second date with him and I went to his house and I I had set some some boundaries for myself around getting physical. It was just something I needed because I was the kind of girl that would like I would go on one date with you and then fuck you. And then you were my boyfriend. 
(laughs) (laughs) So I really needed to like have some physical boundaries so that I would give myself some space to like get information about the person and like assess whether or not we were even a good match, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was suggested to me and I took this suggestion. I make it in the book, take it or leave it. It was suggested to me that I wait until four dates in with someone to even kiss them and that I wait until we were actually an item before I sleep with them or go out of town with them because of my Mm -hmm. history of like flying all over the place. (laughs) So this guy, we're on our second date and he wants to make me dinner at his house. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, naively like, so go over there and I have dinner at his house. And then he's like, oh, you want to like go into the bedroom or whatever. And I'm like, you know, I'm like really not trying to go to the bone zone. And he's (laughs) sorry. (laughs) I love that term. (laughs) And he's like, come on. Like, what's the worst that can happen? Oh, my God. What's the worst that can happen? I don't know. You could, like, give me some kind of sexually transmitted disease. You could, like, murder me and chop me up and stuff me in an oil drum. Like, you could get me pregnant. Like, there's a lot of bad things that could happen. And I was, like, shouting all of this stuff at him as I picked up my shit and I walked out the door. Which Good was, like, you. such a new thing. Mm. So here's the thing, right? I went back to dating. The universe did not deliver me my soulmate. I had to kiss a couple more frogs, right? But I recovered faster. In the old days, I would have slept with that guy and then chased him around for another six to nine months. Mm. Having done this work, I heard what he was saying, assessed whether or not it was aligned with my values, which my values had changed a little bit. There's really no judgment around any of that. And I walked away from this chaos. And then like, I got home and I deleted his phone number and I took him off my Tinder or whatever. And I just was like, I'm done. I'm not going to chase this. This is crazy, right? I used to thrive on the chaos of that kind of shit. And I started to walk away from it faster and to recover from it faster, which really was another kind of jewel in the crown. Like, oh, my God, I did not expect this gift of being able to just be like, fuck, man, you can't roll with me. I'm a bad bitch. And I'm not having anybody <laughs> like, I'm sorry, you can't talk to me like that. We're done here. You know, yeah. uh, that was like a whole new experience for me and like a, a gift that I did not expect to have. Those stories that come at the end on like my return to dating, they're important, too, because I'm sure some people do this work and they find their person right away. But it took me some more dating to learn how to use my discernment. And I had been practicing learning all that. So it was good. Yeah, you had to put it into practice in the real world and form for yourself. And like you said, for some people, it is going to be the situation where lucky them, they come out of doing this work and they can just manifest that person and it clicks Mm -hmm. and it's forever and it's wonderful. And if that's you... Fuck yeah, dude. That's just super dope. (laughs) So if that's you, yeah, that's cool. The most of us, that's would not be the case. Mm -mm. I love that story. (laughs) Thank you for sharing it. And I agree that there is like that post-mortem to fucked up. Like of (sighs) Yeah. Because a part of you dies in in Mm. the process of recognizing what doesn't serve you. You have to like let it go. And sometimes there's like a burial and there's a ritual and that's just part of the process. It sounds like what you got out of doing this work is clarity. Yeah. Because you didn't go into that Mm -hmm. bedroom with that guy because you knew that you didn't want that outcome. You've read that story. You've written that story and read that story many times. And you know how it ends. Yeah. And that's not the ending that you were after. You were looking to go cupcake your motherfucking soulmate. Truth bomb. And that was not going to end in that. Yeah. Clearly. So you were able to turn the page faster and move on quicker and get to where you're going, which is where you are now. Yeah. And that's an amazing and beautiful and also very tough journey. Yeah. But for you to have that higher self-knowledge and Mm. clarity Mm. around what it is that you really want. And I think that's what's missing in Mm. a lot of people who are dating nowadays. And I know, again, I'm like coming from the perspective of like being in a long-term relationship. So take it or leave it. But but you probably have friends that date. I mean, you know, there are plenty of women in your life that date or friends that date. And I ask my friends that are dating, what do you want? Mm -hmm. And often the answer is, I don't know. And that's okay if you don't know, but like sometimes you do know. So you do need to get tuned in. So like, and I'll give you an example is like if you are going on a date with someone again off of an app or whatever, it's so common right now and you go into it and you guys either hook up or don't hook up and you have feelings about it afterwards, Mm -hmm. that's because you did want something. Mm -hmm. So if you're sitting there saying, oh, I don't know what I want or I'm not getting clarity, there is work that you need to do. Yeah. Well, I love that, right? Because 
even when I had previously had clarity, I was not willing to take the actions necessary to Mm. like honor that clarity. And so I talk a lot in the early chapters of the book about kind of lying to myself of thinking like, oh, I don't mind being the cool girl. Oh, I don't mind being the other woman. I'm sexually empowered. It's what I do. I don't give a fuck, you know. And especially as a a sober woman in recovery today, I'm just over eight years sober. And at two years sober, I really felt like, well, fuck, man, I don't do drugs. I don't drink. I don't steal shit. Like I'm going to do what I want with who I want. You know, I really thought that that was like empowerment for me at the time. And then when I bottomed out with this guy that led me to this work, I realized like I was lying to myself that that wasn't really that wasn't really true. Wow. And that's a huge and hard realization to come across. But without it, you wouldn't be where you are now. We wouldn't be here talking about your book. Yes. And I mean, the other thing that kind of comes with that, having willingness to move toward and honor the clarity that you have really also honors the next piece, which is that like, look, time is your most valuable thing. I don't care whether you're 24 or 44. Your time is valuable. Do not waste it chasing some guy who's already got a girl, chasing some guy who lives half a world away, chasing some guy who cannot come to you with honest, open emotions. Like that is not for you. So like the quicker you can go, look, I'm honoring what's true for me. You do not fit with that. It's not a big deal. It's not like a thing that's wrong with you or a thing that's wrong with me. It just means like we don't fit. Yeah. So I'm not going to waste my time. Yeah. That's something I say to a lot of my friends. Yeah. People are like puzzle pieces Mm. and you should not be wasting your time cutting your puzzle piece to fit into Mm. someone else's puzzle. That's a really good metaphor. It's so fucking true. You should. (laughs) It's so true (laughs) because if you cut part of your puzzle piece to fit into his puzzle and then he disappears, all that you have left is yourself cut up. Yeah. And then you have to repair that. And that's kind of this realization that like we are partnered animals Mm. naturally most of us want to have a mate Mm -hmm. of some sort even if you have no romantic sense and you just want to have that like go-to best friend yeah somebody that you can call like kind of your home away from home Mm -hmm. right we Mm -hmm. all want that on some level we still deserve to have standards around it agreed you shouldn't just accept whatever the wind blows your way Mm -hmm. you can there's trash on the floor and you're walking and well, there's trash here. I should pick it up. It's for me. (laughs) No, it's not. Is it a $100 bill? It's not. Put it down. (laughs) Okay. Actually, there's way too much litter in the world. Pick that trash up and you do the world a favor. But seriously. Put the metaphorical trash down. That's right. We only pick up $100 bills. Yeah. I love this. This is good. This This is is some good shit. It is. I love it. You're so wonderful, Heidi. This is so fun. (laughs) I'm having a blast. The feeling is mutual. Loving it. Yay. Yeah. This is great. Tune in for our love fest. This is good. We'll we'll have another one soon. So many topics. Yeah. Okay, so what do you think was at the core of your dating troubles Mm. and how did that or they manifest in your relationships or the encounters that you had while you were dating? Yeah, okay, this is a good one. I had some abandonment stuff. So that was some some trauma that I had from my teen years was some abandonment stuff. And I never really wanted to look at it. But what it created for me was this pattern of being unwilling to be honest with people I dated. So I just never really trusted that my relationships were resilient enough to withstand my true self. Probably the person who suffered the most from this would be my first husband, my ex-husband. Because I married him. He and I dated for like seven months. And we dated long distance. He's Irish. He lived in Ireland the majority of the time that we dated. And then he was with Intel. So we moved to Portland. I was in Denver and he was like, want to move to Portland? And I was like, sure, everything I own fits in my car. So I moved to Portland. <laughs> and, you know, we were moved in together for about a month when we were watching the Super Bowl together. I talk about this in the book. And it's like, you know, isn't it what every girl dreams of? We're like, we're each drinking a six pack in the living room, watching the Super Bowl. And he leans over and he like pushes me on the shoulder, like a little fake punch, like, hey, you want to get married? You know? And I'm like, yeah. You know, and like everyone <laughs> was doing it around me. And I felt like this is what I'm supposed to do or whatever. But, you know, I'd met him like six or seven months prior and there were a bunch of red flags about reasons why we should not do this and I just felt like well, everyone's doing this I should do this too and the fast forward is that I never was willing to tell him how I really felt and he was uh, emotionally punishing like I we would argue and then like he would give me the cold shoulder for like more than a week you know and Ouch. that was really challenging to live with but I mean I had a part in it too I was not willing to be honest with him from the get-go about how I was feeling about stuff this is something I still struggle with. I'm really good at being honest about the good stuff. <laughs> it's this is so fun. I love your cooking, right? It's much more challenging for me to be honest about the hard stuff. And, you know, I always just kind of pushed it down. 
and really hoped that if I just pushed it down far enough, it would like come out my tippy toes. And the end of the day, what happened was I felt like I was drowning in that relationship. And for me, that's a really good indicator anymore when I feel like I'm drowning or like I can't breathe. I'm like, oh, something's up. Yeah. But at the time I was 24 when I married him, I just wasn't that tuned in. And he felt very safe to me because I had this abandonment stuff. I was just like, I wasn't on fire for him. He probably wasn't on fire for me. On the one sense, it didn't feel like the stakes were that high. And then on the other sense, it felt like they were too high. I didn't want to risk anything. So I never wanted to be honest. But eventually what happened for me, I realized like I'm going to suffocate to death in this relationship. I have to leave. And, you know, Mm -hmm. one day I came home from my job and I was like, can we talk about this? And he was like, I'm watching Grey's Anatomy. And I was like, it's going to have to wait. And I was like, I'm leaving. You know, and I took a suitcase and I left that night. I just knew that if I didn't leave in that moment, I was going to spend the rest of my life suffocating. Wow. How long did you stay in that? I was married to him for five years. Okay. So you married him. You were 24. Mm -hmm. You left him when you were about 29. Mm -hmm. So I'm connecting this for our listeners Mm -hmm. because episode 11 is about navigating your Saturn return. Oh, yeah. And you had a Saturn return breakup, which is actually something that we talk about on that episode. I need to listen to that. That's pretty common. People who Mm -hmm. marry at a younger age Mm -hmm. who are not emotionally ready, et cetera. And then realize I've chosen a person that's like not even compatible with me. And like, Mm -hmm. I have shit I need to work through still. And that is exactly what happened to you, which I'm so sorry. But at the same time, I'm not. Look at where you are. Oh, my God. It was really challenging. So like my dad died when I was 28. I left him when I was 29. I got sober at 30. So it was a rough patch. Bam, bam, bam. (laughs) That is all Saturn return energy, too. That's a lot. That was a rough patch. But I mean, so much of that came from lack of trust and abandonment stuff. And that was really one of my deepest patterns. Another one that I had, I started to see this pattern where I would date guys that I wasn't really that attracted to because, like, then it wouldn't really matter if they dumped me or whatever. And then, Mm. like, dating men who were dating other women, I never really had to be that vulnerable with them because it wasn't a real thing. And I was, like, always kind of hoping that I would, like, win. I had this, like, weird winning competition thing going on so yeah I mean there were some patterns there that honestly I talk about it in the book I had a huge infinity scarf that I was wearing at the time that I did all this work and I just would scream into it while I was writing I would just be like (laughs) I mean it was just like I had to write it again I had to write it again and so there is like a lot of writing work to be done around this and it does get to be repetitive and it is like oh my god so horrifying but it's useful because it highlighted some shit for me that I did not realize was fucking up the way that I showed up for my relationships. And that's because it bleeds out of the relationship because really it's at the core of the self. Yes. And that's the work that you're doing is Mm. you're working with women and people in general to help them rebuild patterns in themselves that can help them be relationship ready. Yeah. It's interesting because people ask me if I do dating coaching and I'm like, well, not really, because honestly, all this work that's outlined in the book is about mending the relationship to self. I do like pre-dating coaching. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. Let's brand that. Yeah. So fun. You got it. Thank you for sharing all of that. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. So we have done a lot of talking about Mm. the red flags. Mm. And I feel like there's so much out there about red flags, even though, damn, are we good at ignoring them? Oh, my God. Have you seen there's a meme that's like, oh, what show is it? Where she's wearing uh, glasses or something and she says, you know, the funny thing about red flags is when you're wearing rose colored glasses, (laughs) they all just look like flags. Oh, my God. That's funny. That's true. It's such a good meme. And it's so fucking real for this episode, especially. So let's shift gears. Okay. Let's talk about some of the green flags to look out for in a relationship. I know that you're happily married. Like, we've been Mm -hmm. talking. Hi, Jeff. You're awesome. (laughs) And I love if you can share with us how you were able to identify qualities that he had that let you know that there was real potential there that eventually brought you to where you are now. I love this. Okay, there's a couple of things. There's an exercise that's in the book. It's called an ideals list. This is important. I created an ideals list before I went back to dating. I encourage everyone who is like on pause for dating or get, you know, if you are not currently dating, I would encourage you to make an ideals list. This is an unlimited list of values that you would like your future partner to have. I think it's important to make this list while you're not dating because when you're dating someone, it's very easy for your list to suddenly look like exactly the person you're dating. (laughs) (laughs) There's a little less honesty there maybe. Yeah. So you're like a little more objective when you're like fully single and making this list. So the first thing that I did was I made an ideals list. The ideals list is a reflection of the deep values. Some of these things you'll be able to find out on the first date, like uh, their employment status, you know, or like body odor, dude, straight up. Right, like, like if you smell bad, it's 
Over. Or a smoker or something, right? Like <laughs> yeah. you can figure that stuff out totally. like, pretty easily. But some of it, it's going to take a couple more dates to discover. So totally. You're not really going to know if he has like a great relationship with his mom. I mean, if she shows up, that's, <laughs> she's or- there. He's like, I want you to meet my mom. Date number one. Red flag, red flag. <laughs> I'm like, is, is that your mom or is that a big red flag? flag. <laughs> <laughs> How funny. She looks like a red flag to me. Yeah, okay. um, yeah or like the example that we gave earlier about emotional availability. Like if yeah. that happens, then that's a red flag. Then you do know about his relationship with his mom, right? So some of these will take longer to find out. The point of the ideals of this is I do think that we should be ruthless when we date because I think that time is our most valuable asset. Often I have used my ideals list to rule out people that I dated with as like a benchmark. Where do you land on this? How does this fit? And if you don't fit with this, but like I really feel a connection with you, do I need to reevaluate something on here? And then the other thing that's cool about that is I use the ideals list to become that woman as well. If I have a value that my man has financial security, then do I have financial security in my life? Am I taking care of my shit? Am I cleaning my house like that? Right? So that's an important way to like learn to show up in the world as the person that you want to attract to you. That is also an independence thing. I think so too. I think so too. And also like, okay, if you put on your ideals list that you want to meet a guy who loves snowboarding and you're spending all your time at the gap, your paths are not going to cross, right? So like totally. if your ideal is a man who loves snowboarding, then like pack your bag, girl, get up to the mountain. Like let's do yeah. this, right? So some of it is about becoming in proximity with the types of people that you want to connect with. And some of it is about being a responsibility and living the life that you want to attract. So I really like that tool. And I really feel like it is such a good, like kind of no limits thought experiment. So I was a huge fan of that. One of the other things I loved about moving into dating Jeff, I had known him for a couple of years before this. And we went out on a date and I told him like, look, I spent 11 months doing all this work on myself. It's been suggested to me that I wait for four dates before I make out with anyone. And he was very much like, cool. Wow. And I was like, oh my God, that's so awesome. I can't tell you how many women I've done this work with where I say like, because they have the same kind of history as I do. I'm like, listen, it's just a suggestion. I know you've been holding off on it for all the time you've been doing this work, but I'm going to suggest, why don't you just wait four dates before you kiss this guy? And they're like, how do I say that? And I'm like, look, use the simplest form of the truth. Hey, it's been suggested to me that I wait for four dates before we make out. And they're like, seriously? I'm like, yes, just say it. It's not a big deal. Yeah, It is not a big deal. If you get pushback on that, then now you know more information about this guy. Because he's already not respecting the boundary that you laid. Thank you. It is not an extreme thing to suggest. You know, like if you're really hot for each other, you can go on four dates in like a week. I'm not suggesting you do that. But if you like technically wanted to do that, you could, right? I worked with this girl who told this to two guys who were like adamant, either negotiating it with her or just like, Mm. why? But why? But why? Unable to respect it. And I'm like, walk away, walk away. And she did. And then, you know, she found this guy and she told him that and he respected it. And they're like together for almost a year now, maybe a year and a half. And it's not that like a guy who can respect this rule is automatically your soulmate, but it's a good indicator that he's like mature, that he can like hear your boundary. There's a lot of information that you get from just that one little boundary. Yeah. And also if he's not going to respect that you don't want to kiss him until the fourth date and you've been open and honest about that, how likely is it that you think that he's going to respect that you don't want to sleep with him? Right. On that second date, that third date, like there's a lot of pressure and Mm -hmm. expectation Mm -hmm clear communication and relationships being more prevalent in the kink community Mm -hmm. that's on episode six of this podcast Mm -hmm. i feel like there's so much overlap oh it's good but in that community Mm -hmm. they are very like this is what's okay with me this is not what's okay with me yeah and they're very open and honest about it yeah and it is just fluid and it's it's anticipated right actually like that is part of their culture the expectation is like you'll be clear with me about what's okay for you and especially in the hetero Mm -hmm. women are like oh well I don't want to do that because then he'll think this. Like, Mm. fuck that. Fuck that. Dude, fuck that noise. Do it. Say it. Speak your truth. If he doesn't respect it, show him the door. That's right. He can't roll with you. Sorry. Exactly. You can't roll with me. You can't sit with us. You can't sit (laughs) with us. You can't sit with us. So those are two things that were really useful when I started to date Jeff that were really green flags for me. We had a lot of fun and we share a spiritual path, which is great. I'm like kind of blanking on some other ones, but those were some big ones for us. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's just so important to bring that into this because we do talk about the red flags. Mm -hmm. And just in society, it's just so much 
easier to talk about the negative and yeah. like bond over that when if you actually focus on what is the good stuff mm-hmm. and you have your ideals list written out and you know what you want, mm-hmm. it's so much more accessible for you to manifest. Yeah. And it just is so much more positive for you to focus on what's possible and what's mm-hmm. good, which is not the same thing as mm-hmm. being in a relationship with a total loser that you are not compatible with right. and overlooking it because you're focusing on the good. Yeah. That's toxic. So you do have to have the balance of higher self maturity to mm-hmm. figure that out, which if you haven't done the work, Sounds like you might want to pick up this book. That's right. Oh, I thought of one more thing. Yeah. Which is that I was attracted to Jeff. So I'd had this history of dating oh. guys that I was not attracted to, right? Where I'd be like, oh, I mean, if I like turn the picture sideways and I like kind of squint and I lower the light. If like I put I a might, paper bag on it. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> that guy might be cute. So it was yeah. important to me that I spent time dating guys that I thought were hot. And I thought my husband was hot. So I was like, okay, there we go. I still think he's hot. Checkmate. Tell him like almost every day. You're That's a babe, great. babe. That's so cute. Yeah. Great. Okay. So we also talked about this a little bit, mm-hmm. but what is your best advice for someone who is looking for a lifetime partner? Mm-hmm. And I think something that you had talked about was like being ruthless. Yes. I want you to unpack that a little bit yeah. for us. What do you mean when you say be ruthless? Yes. This is good. This is a great question. And it's really kind of a natural segue from what we were talking about. My kind of mantra is be ruthless, but really it goes back to this idea of like time is your most valuable asset. So use it wisely. No going on dates with guys that are only kind of cute. I know a handful of women who are like, well, he's kind of cute. Oh, he looks good in plaid. Oh, he's got a dog. Even though you're going to wait a couple dates to kiss him, I want you to want to kiss him. Yeah. That is a thing. And I don't want you to want to kiss him under the right conditions. I want you to want to kiss him. So that's the first thing. The second thing is make an ideals list and use it. And trust that like if this guy is hot, but he doesn't fit your ideals list, a different hot guy will come along And the third thing is we get so wrapped up in our little plans and designs. Well, I'm this old. I have to date a guy for this long before we get married, before we have kids, before I have a house, whatever, right? Like trust, let the narrative go, flip the script, set it aside, give it to the universe, whatever you have to do to just go, look, here's what I want. I'm not settling for less. Mm. The journey for not settling for less, I'm going to use my time wisely, And then also just make sure your relationship with yourself is right. And if you have some things that you need to take care of, set aside the timeline and go take care of yourself. Because in the long term, you're going to be so much happier if you've taken an extra 12 months to like mend your relationship to self and then you go out in the world to date than you are if you continue to just date wrong fit after wrong fit after wrong fit and eventually settle for a wrong fit and feel like you're suffocating in your relationship. Yeah. And then you have to do the work again. Mic drop. That's right. (laughs) That's right. Okay, so in this world of dating, Mm -hmm. 21st century, there's so many apps. Yeah. And I have zero experience with apps because I found my man while they were kind of creeping up in popularity. Mm. And I have never really touched them beyond my friends. Mm. I I think I said this in like another episode. Please don't let me swipe for you. (laughs) Terrible (laughs) idea, really. Um, So that's the only experience I've ever had. I'm like, oh, so you swipe this way or that way. And I mean, the thing that creeps me out the most is that it tells you how close they are. Yeah, that's I'm like, weird. <laughs> I'm always telling my friends, like, you want to go look for him? <laughs> so creepy. <laughs> but not that creepy when you consider that there's shows out there like you. Hello. Yeah, that oh show is so fucking creepy. So creepy. I and, watched season ugh. one, but I haven't gotten to season two, but I need to. I mean, I ugh. withstood the creepiness of season one, so I need to get it in gear and watch get season back two. In, yeah. yeah. I'm not there yet either. It was, uh, it was creeping me out. <laughs> it's a little too, too close to home. So I'm wondering... In the dating world Uh with these apps, do you have any advice for people specifically when it comes to like navigating apps? You know, I don't really. I think that advice around dating applies to apps too. I mean, I just feel like I can't believe that there's anyone out there who's feeling shame around apps. If you are, I want to tell you it's like how everyone does it. So no shame. Like seriously. And also like in the bigger context of this whole discussion, no shame. The title of my book talks about fucking randos and stopping fucking randos. But like if fucking randos is making you happy, keep fucking randos. Yeah. I did that for a long time until it didn't make me happy anymore. And then I had to do something different. I forgot to say that earlier. And I just kind of like to add that as context. Like I have no judgment around anyone's preferences of what's good for them as long as it honors the authenticity that's at your core and the truth that's really living in you. And, you know, a lot of my journey was discovering that what I thought was the truth or what I was telling myself was the truth was not really the truth. And what I was doing was not honoring what was really down there. So there's that. But um, as far as the apps are concerned, you know, there are these online time wasters. Mm. And this is kind of in the same vein as Be Ruthless. But like, I don't want you out there texting with some guy for three months before you meet him. Yeah. That is not an effective use of your time. That's somebody who's stringing you along until whoever they're seeing either dumps them or is out of town. Like, that's total cheater behavior. If you are talking to someone and you cannot find a way, I mean, 
I guess I could understand a world in which everyone's the the pair of you are super busy and your schedules really won't allow it until like two weeks. Yeah, but, like, but two weeks isn't three months, man. That's, yeah. So I just feel like yeah. be careful of those guys out there that are wasting time. There is like a huge segment of them. I am not currently on the apps because I'm because I'm married, but I know women who are like, oh my god, this guy and I are texting, and we've been texting for like six weeks. Like, no. Yeah. If if somebody really wants to meet you, they will find a way to meet you in seven days. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think about anyone that I was really hot for. I would have dropped anything to meet them. I would like move heaven and earth to meet my husband somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, this person has to want to meet you. Yep. And if they don't, it's okay. It doesn't mean you're bad or like whatever. It just means like they don't have their shit together. So set them aside and it's move a- on to the next one. Thank you. Next channel your inner Ariana Grande. Get that wig extension on. Get that big pony going. I was so conditioned to like give everyone a second chance and it caused me more pain than it ever brought me good. So trust your intuition. You don't need to give them eight weeks to find a way to meet you. Kind of set yourself up and go, look, I'm going to talk to this guy. If we can't get together in seven days, 10 days, I'm going to bail. I'm going to find somebody else that wants to meet me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really a low standard to set, even though it can be hard to hold to your guns Mm -hmm. on that. Mm -hmm. But we believe in you. I do. I believe in you enough for the both of us. There's resources Mm -hmm. and we're going to give them to you here in the very near future. (laughs) So I know we've talked a lot about relationships. Mm -hmm. Now I just have some questions about you. All right. Before we wrap up with some rapid fire Mm -hmm. questions. So do you have any daily, weekly, or monthly routines that you would recommend to others? And if you could explain what they are and why you enjoy them. Yeah. That will help bring us into your world. I love that. I have a daily meditation routine. I am not great at just like shutting the mind off or down. So one of the things I do is I set a timer on my phone for three minutes, pull a card from this Oracle deck every day, and it has like usually just like a little phrase and then at the end a little mantra. And so I just meditate on the mantra for three minutes. And for me, it really is useful because like I'm one of those people where I like open my eyes and the wheels are spinning, you know, and so it's really great to like get grounded in that the other thing I do we have two dogs and I walk them daily first thing no matter what my brain is like you gotta do this you gotta do this you gotta do this it's like no the first thing you have to do is get up and walk these dogs and then after that you gotta do three minutes of meditation and then after that let's look at the calendar yeah Yeah. that's really starting your day for you Mm -hmm. and for your cute little dog oh they're so cute lemon is our yellow lab she is just over a year old she's like I call her my bunny puppy because she's like she like just jumps all over everything. And then our older dog, Henry, is a Hound Great Dane mix, and he's so cute. Henry the Hound. Oh, my gosh. Lemon so the Lab. Adorable. Mm-hmm. Ugh, love it. They're Such cute. fun names. <laughs> okay. So speaking kind of in the same vein mm-hmm. as what you were talking about with your Oracle cards, mm-hmm. is there a current affirmation or a mantra that you're mm-hmm. really enjoying right now? Yeah. I have one that gets me everywhere. I've used it for probably the last eight years, and it is redirect my energy on the in-breath and guide my thoughts and actions on the out breath. And every mm. time I have anything big going on, I'm such an early bird. This is part of my like childhood conditioning, I think. But like even when I try to be late places, I'm still like five minutes early. I'm always fucking early. So now what I do is when I get somewhere early, I turn my car off and I set a timer on my phone. And for three minutes, I breathe in, redirect my energy, and I breathe out, guide my thoughts and actions. And mm. then I usually get pretty grounded. It kind of helps me release the kind of frenzy energy that I carry around with me all the time. <laughs> it's the it's in the book. It's the Heidi Kane. <laughs> the Heidi Kane. That's right. Yeah, it, let, it kind of calms the Heidi Kane and lets me show up in the world as like a pretty socially acceptable version of myself. <laughs> I feel that. I feel that so much. Yeah, yeah it's a big energy in this room with it us is. here it's together. It's awesome. awesome. It's so rad. Cool. I like that. I'm gonna repurpose that awesome. for myself. I love that. Okay, it's a time we've all been waiting for. Okay. It is rapid fire questions. Let's do it. This is a new thing I'm adopting into the episodes. I love it. I just think it'll be fun. Yeah. And it's just a this or that. So go with your gut mm-hmm. and there's no wrong answer. Mm-hmm. And you are allowed to say both if you can't <laughs> decide. And you're also allowed to say neither if oh. you don't identify with either. I want there to be a buzzer. Maybe I will I send you, a, maybe I'll order one on Amazon and send <laughs> it to you so that your next guest has to buzz in and oh say Oh my gosh. It. So fun. <laughs> yes. Bring it to life. Okay. Okay. So new moons or full moons? Full moon. Sunday or Saturday? Saturday. Incense or candles? Candles. Tarot cards or oracle decks? Tarot. Morning person or night owl? Morning. Read a book or listen to a podcast? Read a book. Phone calls or text messages? Text messages. Crystal gems or crystal balls? 
Crystal gems. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Oh, my God. I slammed that round. That was so good. So good. I love that. Saturday or Sunday was the hardest question, I think. Yeah, dude. It's tough. Yeah. That, it's like, how do you choose? <laughs> Life is hard when you got to choose hard. between Saturday and Sunday. Oh, I love it. <laughs> okay. So since this is the Soulful of It podcast mm-hmm. and we have been soulful of relationship conversations today, I always like to ask my guests, what are you soulful of right now? There is so much love and joy in my life and I'm having such an experience in writing the book that was on my heart, releasing it, learning all these new ways to like get it out there. So I would say I'm so full of inspiration. That's the short version of that. That's so lovely. (laughs) That's And you're so lovely. You are so lovely. Thank you. It has just been awesome having you here and joining me and joining our listeners and Heidi, how can our listeners connect with you? You guys can find me on Instagram. I am honeybee52. That's just the letter B. One of the things that I've got going on right now that I would love to pass on to your listeners is I do have a free guided meditation that I've intentionally crafted to help people identify three blocks that they're having to healthy relationships. There's a link to that on my bio on Instagram. So you just like go on the Instagram, click on the link tree, find the bubble that says free meditation and do that. You have to subscribe to my email list, which it'll ask you to do, and then it will automatically send you the freebie. So you'll get the meditation. I'm on Facebook, Heidi Bushy, and you can pick up the actual book. It's on Amazon, but there's a link to it on my website, which is HeidiBCoaching.com. <laughs> you can find the book there. You can find the worksheets to the book. If you end up with the Kindle version or the Audible version, obviously uh, the Audible does not support um, the worksheets and neither does the Kindle. So you can like download the worksheets on my website. But also the last thing is I generally offer an in-person workshop on the relationship ready material um, once a month in Portland. You can do that in person. But I started to realize that there are some people who feel very uncomfortable doing that in a public setting, even though the groups are really intimate. And so I do have an online course. It's like a webinar series of videos that will take you through the work. And that is on my website as well. Awesome. So there's so many different resources. Like Heidi Mm -hmm. said, you can find her on Instagram at honeybee52. Check that out. She's got so many links in there. And then of course, I'll be tagging her. So it'll be kind of hard to not find her. I'll make (laughs) sure that you can find her. But yeah, that's everything that we have for you guys today. This was so much fun. I agree. I'm just so grateful that you joined me. Thank you, Heidi, for being a part of this episode and contributing so much wisdom and knowledge to help people be relationship ready. 